podcast world. This is Caribbean Power Lunch, where we feature Black-owned businesses. I am your host, Kevin Vardy, and joining me today, we have Makeda McKenzie from the Caribbean Mindfulness Institute. Makeda, how are you doing? Very well. Good afternoon, all your listeners. Kevin, thank you for having me. Thank you, Makeda. And right now, people are wondering, what, why does Kevin's song so subdued right now? Why does he song so calm? Is he high? No, I'm not high. Makeda and I just did a 10-minute meditation session, and it was my first meditation session ever. And in addition to that, usually on this show, while we record, we drink a little bit of rum, we drink some scotch, we drink some vodka. But Makeda, what, what are we drinking right now? Chamomile tea. Makeda, why are we drinking chamomile tea? It makes me feel chill. It makes me feel cozy. It makes me feel happy. <laughs> I just like tea. Okay. And I like to be chill. Okay. So how does this Mindfulness Institute work though? I understand you go around the country, you give these mindfulness sessions and so to, to corporate staff and everything mm-hmm. and everybody comes off feeling all good. A friend of mine actually went to one of your sessions and said, Kevin, you need this person on your show. Tell me, how does this work? Yeah. So I have my company where I offer a public and corporate workshops, really teaching people how to embrace a life of mindfulness. For those of you who are not too aware of what mindfulness means, it really means about being present and the present moment, being aware of what's happening in your body, being aware of what's happening in your mind, being aware of what's happening in your environment. You know, the average person has between 50 to 70,000 thoughts a day. And 90% of those thoughts are the same thoughts we had yesterday. I'm so interested in finding out how, how is that calculated? Well, I'm sure <laughs> Who it's connected. Who <laughs> Well, you know, mindfulness is really heavily backed and validated by science, which is one of the things that drew me to this field of study because there are different types of meditation. And mindfulness, they're really able to connect the MRIs and do the brain scans and show how your brain looks before and after meditation. So really after a 10-minute session, you know, there's a graphic that I use in my um, corporate workshops that shows the brain before and after a 10-minute meditation. And before the brain is all lit up and, you know, excited and activated. And after 10 minutes, you see all of those areas really subdued. So mindfulness works on the mind. It works on the physical structure of the brain. So the prefrontal cortex, which is the part of the brain that's responsible for decision-making and logic and reasoning, that literally grows and gets bigger and thicker and the grooves get deeper. And then the amygdala, which is responsible for stress reactivity, that shrinks. So that means is the more you practice mindfulness meditation, the better decisions you make, you're more able to concentrate, and then your stress reactivity, you're you're less likely to kind of fly off the handle. Okay. I just spent the morning with some kids between the ages of 14 and 17 in a Kenneth Cyril Valley Foundation mentorship mentorship session. I don't know why I can never say that quickly, fast enough, you know, tongue twister. So yeah, there are people there who wanted to be a lawyer, who wanted mm-hmm. to be a, a doctor, who wanted to be a graphic artist, who wanted to be a soldier, a young girl wanted to be a soldier. And it's so interesting. It just took me back to when I was their age and I wanted to be a psychologist, then I wanted to be a corporate lawyer, then I fell asleep in court. So I decided <laughs> I wanted to work in banking and well, here I am. Yeah. Right? So I want to know, what did 15-year-old Makeda want to be? Did she want to be a mindfulness coach? <laughs> what, what did yeah, she want to no. be? You know, I would always say my dream job would be being a teacher. I would always describe that as my dream job, but I really thought it would be school-age children. At one point, I wanted to be a nurse. 
at one point I wanted to be a psychiatrist. I realize now at age 40, 41, that I have now incorporated all of those elements into the job that I'm doing now. So I've always had a heart for helping and for teaching. My degree is in economics and management. Economics. Yeah. So, you know, and an upper second class degree. I worked oh. very hard for that. Upper degree. second economics? Yeah. But you're a genius? <laughs> in UE? In UE. Econ, econ was a minor because I didn't do econometrics and I still regret not doing that. But anyway, but I was supposed to be a double major. Okay. Then I really wanted to, you know, join the bank and be like a Forex trader. I was in the corporate world for very, very long and I just made myself very sick. But stress-related illnesses, I just was not dealing with my health. I didn't prioritize my health. I had a lot of personal challenges that just hit me like a ton of bricks every six months of something new. And then I stumbled upon mindfulness and it totally changed my life and transformed me. And I felt like I was living life in color. And I just became really dedicated to learning more about the science behind it. And then I became very passionate about bringing awareness to others that this exists and this is something accessible and it's not just hippies do this. It's not anything far out. It's really just brain training. So that's how I got into teaching it to others. A bachelor's degree in economics and management. How do you go from there to 10 years in HR, yeah. Trinidad and abroad? Yeah. So after my degree, I joined RBC as part of their graduate trainee program. And through that program, we get rotated throughout the organization to different like units and branches. And when I was in UE, all of my electives were in HR because I loved it and I got like A's in it. So to me, it was like easy. And I remember being in those HR classes thinking, wow, this is the crux of business because you can't run a business without people, you know? Exactly. So I remember thinking like, that was like my first aha moment. Like people are so crucial to uh, organization's success. And then having that experience rotating through RBC and then Having that stint in HR, because I was part of the stops, I never left. I just fell in love with the actual practical practice of human resources. So my degree is in economics and management, but I am an HR practitioner ever since graduating. And how did we end up in Coca-Cola in the UK? So I was in the UK between 2006 and 2008 for two years. They had that visa. I can't remember the name of the visa. It was like a two-year visa, work, oh, right, right, working right. holiday visa, the right. two-year working yes. holiday visa. Yes. So I went to London. On that, after a very bad breakup, so I just flung all my stuff in a suitcase and I went across and I did a couple of temping jobs in London and I ended up in Coca-Cola and it was just a fantastic, it was like something on a TV show. I remember walking into the building like, oh my God, they have made a mistake. I'm not supposed to be here. Like the building was just so swanky and within weeks of me being there, they sent me to Paris to organize an event there. It was just an opportunity of a lifetime wow yeah all yeah. that pivoting from a bad breakup yeah yeah okay so you're in coca-cola uk you're in hr mm -hmm. what time period are we thinking right so now? i was in coca-cola i think 2007 and 2008 so for the last year when i was in um, london and then they liked my work so much they applied for a work permit for me wow. which was unheard of this because, is in 2008 yeah when they had this big financial crisis yes. and everybody was i mean back. they hired immigration lawyers they really wanted to keep me on you know and 
even that is such a testament to how God is so great because I was a temp. They don't do that unless you're really senior in the organization. So I returned to Trinidad because my visa was up. They paid for my rental car. They allowed me to work from home. So I was still working for Coca-Cola UK from home, wow. you know, while all of the paperwork is being processed. But unfortunately, you know, Coca-Cola couldn't convince the home office that, you know, my skills were scarce in the EU because that's one of the things you have to prove to get a work permit approved. So the work permit application was denied. And then, okay, I'm here in Trinidad and I got to make this work somehow. So now you're back into banking. You go to Scotia Bank. Now you go from one Canadian bank to the other. <laughs> well, oh. when I came back in 2008, we entered a recession here in Trinidad. So like people weren't hiring. So that was a, a big shift for me because when I left Trinidad, you know, I was on the managerial track. I had permanent jobs and it was really, really hard to find employment when I returned and to find permanent employment, you know. So that was a bit of an adjustment for me, just not having that stable bank job. So I worked in a couple of companies before I ended in Scotiabank, and I was the assistant manager recruitment and selection there for some years before I left that job. And then I had another job that was closer to home and that didn't really pan out. And then I was in the public sector and then... Now I have my company. You were not at a job for like what, nine months or so? Well, what happened there is that <laughs> I did the company medical. Okay. And in doing that company medical, it was discovered that I needed to have emergency surgery. What's that? So here I was thinking, oh my God, this is a dream come true. The job is literally next door to where I lived. I used to work in Port of Spain and I'm from South. And now I'm having a, a job where I can literally walk to. So what started off as an answer to my prayers soon turned into a nightmare because now I realize I have to have emergency surgery. But again, God is so good. He organized it that the company paid for the surgery, even though I wasn't covered under the insurance because I had just joined and the company gave me time off and they were very supportive. So it's been a bit of a, a, a rocky journey before I got into my mindfulness. And that's why, you know, mindfulness for me has just been a lifesaver. I've had just so many ups and downs and I had gotten very depressed and very anxious and mindfulness just really helped me just get out of that place of self-criticism. Before you discovered mindfulness as mindfulness yeah you would do your yourself meditation so that's and stuff. the thing what so, would you do? so right i would try to pray it away i would party it away drink it away lime you? it me every time i would go out How i would tea? have to be not tea <laughs> i was forever i was i had a reputation of forever drinking i was i was in a lot of pain looking back now i have a lot of compassion for myself because i was clearly struggling so I just was trying to cope in whatever way I can. So just grabbing at different ways to help heal myself, you know. And to me, I tried everything. I tried everything. And I really felt like as a good Christian, I felt that I shouldn't be depressed. I should have enough faith to kind of pull myself out of this place that I was in. I was going to the doctor every minute because I had all of these illnesses. And they said, Makeda, you are depressed. You need help, you know. And finally, I accepted the help. And I started to speak to somebody like a therapist and that began to, like, to kind of lift the cloud and just different things. I tried until finally mindfulness was like the icing on the cake. So how would you feel after a night of hard drinking? Though? Horrible. And I would feel sick the next. I'm embarrassed. I felt like I was too old to be behaving like this. Okay, so 
what you discovered mindfulness now yeah is this where you discover mindfulness yeah so i mean i was really struggling for some years like i said i was in a relationship that was not healthy for me i had these health challenges that were completely unexpected and i had to have surgery i had a difficult work relationship with my boss you know so it was just like a lot of stressors and it was just compounding pounding pounding and yeah, something, and I say something, but really it's, I feel like it's the voice of God. I just heard one word that said meditation. Nobody recommended it to me. I didn't know anybody who meditated. And from there, I started researching, okay, where can I do a class locally? And I did do a class locally. And I just felt like so much better so quickly after. And I would wake up in the morning and I would feel like, is it my birthday? Is it Christmas? Why am I in such a good mood? And it's because I meditated the night before. So I started to do some research into the science of it. I wanted to know why it was working on me. And then I realized there's this whole field of study called mindfulness. It's offered abroad. You could claim for it on your insurance. It's so well known and so well recognized away as being a valid intervention for depression, anxiety, for reducing stress-related illnesses. And I'm just like, well, why don't we know about this here? Nobody ever said they would mindfulness to me. And then I just became on a crusade to tell everybody about it. Have you heard about meditation? Have you heard about mindfulness? Have you tried it? So, <laughs> so you did a number of courses to train for this, right? Yeah. About six of them, five or six? Yeah, sounds about right. And how was that? Like, what would you learn in those classes? How big were the classrooms? What was the delivery format like? Yeah. In both instances, the classes were pretty big. They largely made up of, were made up of doctors and psychologists. And they wanted to learn how to teach it so they could help their patients better. Um, it was lecture style. The one in California, which was the teacher training, which qualifies me to teach it to others, that was didactic. And they also encouraged didactic. Right? All right. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'll Google it. <laughs> so it's just like more like lecture style, you know, like they teach and, you know, it, it, they really didn't encourage too much note taking. So they wanted to be experiential. So they want you to experience and be in the moment. That's what mindfulness is, you know. Right. So it's not a whole lot of notes. It's about awareness, really. Yeah, just understanding what you're teaching and why you're teaching it and understanding the science behind it. Everything that I teach is a reason why. The length of the pauses and what words to use and your choice of words and when to introduce what. I mean, they all have a reason behind it. And that's what we learn. So it's a formula. It's a system. Well, yes and no. One of the things that they say is that a proper mindfulness teacher should have their own mindfulness practice and they should embody it. You know, so it's not very formulaic. But it's good to understand why you're teaching it. So that especially if you have questions from persons or you can mix it up before you even customize a meditation, you need to understand the basics of it. Recently, you did a course called The Science of Happiness. Yeah, I'm, curr I'm currently doing that. You're currently doing it. Yeah. It's from Yale University. Yes. Right? Tell me about the science of happiness. I would love to learn that science. You know, everything that we feel and we experience starts in the mind. And I, I know for me, that was one of the biggest aha moments throughout my studies. You know, just how much of my emotions and my thoughts comes from the mind. I think you're going to forget it. You know, you get so caught up in a story. So really understanding the mind can help you understand why you feel what you feel and then maybe even change it. So with the science of happiness, we're learning how to rewire our brain. How do we access more happiness? And I say access because it's there, but do we access it? Are we staying focused on the negative or are we choosing to kind of reprogram ourselves to stay more in the positive. 
I see you have a, a quote that says that mindfulness creates the space for you to decide whether you want to respond or react. Can you just expand on that a little bit? Sure. So mindfulness is about practicing the pause. Practicing right? the pause. The pause, yeah. The, uh, the, coming, the pause. Yeah, coming out of autopilot. Stopping doing what we're doing by rote or out of habit and really thinking about what we're doing and why. That's really what it is. Meditation is the formal practice of mindfulness. So when you meditate, you notice your thoughts straying, you bring it back to your breath. And that's building a muscle. That's building the muscle of attention. So when you start to pay attention intentionally to what is happening in front of you, you are less likely to respond out of habit and you're more likely to respond to what's actually in front of you. And when the more you practice meditation and you practice this pausing, you are more likely to take a beat before you respond. In that beat, you're deciding, how do I want to respond? How do I want to handle this situation? It sounds almost like physical exercise. It's called brain training. And it right. really is brain training. It's like, it's like building a muscle. So when you go to the gym, you do reps. And you're not going to expect to get a big bulging bicep by doing two reps and then not going back for three weeks, right? The same thing with mindfulness meditation. We're building that attentional muscle in our mind. And in building that consistently, we see it appear in other areas and other aspects of our life. After you leave here today, and let's say I want to do another meditation session similar to what we did before we started mm -hmm. recording. How do I go about doing that? Well, there are a lot of free apps that are out there. So my favorite app is Insight Timer. And that's a free app. Remember, there are different types of meditations. So you just have to put in mindfulness meditation. And then you will be able to say, okay, I want to do a 10-minute meditation. They have different time frames, different purposes. So you can use an app. There are lots of free resources on YouTube as well. But what I find with those kind of aids is that people try it, but they're not consistent with it. So that's why I have people sign up to my course. They know that they should be meditating. They've heard about it. They've read up about it. They're ready. But they just really want a structure in place to help them form a solid foundation so that they can continue the practice on their own. All right. So what happens in the class? So right now I'm running five weeks to peace. Five weeks to peace. The also, it's a program that you enroll on yeah. in advance. And then once you enroll, you're locked in. There's, nobody else can join in right no, now. No. So I don't accept members after week two. Really, that's to be fair to them because each week is foundational and builds on the previous week. So, and even if you join on week in week two, I still have a video call with you to bring you up to date on what was covered in week one. So five weeks to peace is my baby, which I designed. It's your brainchild. It's my brainchild. Five weeks to peace, fundamentals of mindfulness meditation. And in that class, I expose people to different mindfulness meditations. So we do a breath awareness, which is what we would have started with, a body scan, a loving kindness meditation. So you're really exposed to the different aspects of mindfulness meditation. I give some guidance in terms of why we are exploring this particular meditation. I think it's important for you to understand what you're doing. That way you buy into it more. So 20 minutes of the class is really just exploring the theme for the day. And then 40 minutes is guided meditation. And then I give homework assignments and I keep them motivated during the week because I have a WhatsApp group and I give reminders and infographics. How does the body scan work? You kind of shine a attentional spotlight on one area of the body. So whereas with a breath meditation, you rest 
your attention on your breath. Use your breath as an anchor. The body scan, you focus on the bodily sensations and you put your attention on that. So this is where you would have told me to soften the muscles around my forehead. Yeah, so we start there and then we say, okay, put your attention on your right hand. What sensations do you feel there? What do you feel? Do you feel tingling? Do you feel a throbbing? Do you feel a pulsing? You just really focus your attention on what you feel in that part of the body. And that's important for two reasons. One, we don't really pay attention to our bodily signals because we're so caught up in our thoughts. And our body often gives us very early indicators when self-care is needed. So by learning to tune into our body and what our body is saying, we can avoid a situation where we are highly reactive because we haven't been paying attention to how we have been building up. That's interesting. That's interesting. Yeah? So you talk about this mind-body connection that your mind should be able to tell when your body is feeling like something's wrong. Like, how do we detect that though? Yeah. And the As body, amateurs. Yeah, no. And the body, the body scan is one way to start tuning in and developing the capacity, cultivating the capacity to listen to what our body is saying. Because our body tells us little things. When I was working in the bank, every minute I had a headache. And what did I do? Take a tablet and you keep it moving. But that was saying that something is out of alignment. I was out of balance. So with the body scan, we're starting to number one, put our body in its proper place. Start listening to what our body is saying. And when we start to drill down into the little twinges and twitches and pulses, then when something is really strong, we're more likely to feel it rather than push it away. So we use the body scan to sort of troubleshoot. Yeah, we use the body scan as another mechanism to get out of our heads and into our bodies. Okay. You know, our body has a lot of wisdom. When we're in our thoughts, we tend to add stories onto something. Like say, working in our office and somebody didn't tell me good morning. Oh, look at her. She never tells me good morning. Just last week, she didn't tell me. That. You know what I mean? So we start to add and add and add. And that causes our own distress. With the body scan, we're, look, we're looking to tune into the wisdom of our body and learning to listen to what it's saying and seeing if we could discern what our body is telling us. Does nutrition play a big role in this? I find so. I mean, not formally as part of mindfulness, but when you become more mindful and when you start to really pay attention to what you're putting into your body, because I remember mindfulness is all about paying attention, then you're less likely to eat junk because you're like, what is this synthetic thing that I'm eating? You know, what is it? What am I really consuming? It's a natural coloroid. I think that's the word. It just it goes together. You know, when you become more mindful, you, you do tend to be more aware of proper nutrition and the value of it. And there's a whole other school of knowledge behind mindful eating. Right. Right. So, which is a thing in itself. And they offer a lot of clinics in that. And you get special certification in just that, being a mindful eater facilitator. That's interesting because just the other day, let's say in September, I was studying for this um, really long and intensive exam. And... I was listening to a podcast to see, all right, how do you be able to learn better, mm -hmm. learn, learn faster, how you retain, right? So I listened to this podcast by this brain coach and he's, he spoke about 10 different foods. Okay. 10 different brain foods, mm -hmm. right? So you talk about like the blueberries, the salmon, yeah. the avocado, the nuts mm -hmm. and, and all these things. And I also listened to another podcast about, I think it was a food doctor. Mm -hmm. And she was saying, so why do we eat ice cream why do we really eat junk is it that we really need ice cream we really need that junk food or is it that we are craving a certain feeling mm -hmm. a certain feeling of comfort a certain feeling of pacification if mm -hmm. that's good so if instead 
of eating that ice cream, eating that, that fried chicken or so, that you could find some other source of happiness or some mm-hmm. other source of comfort. Mm-hmm. You'll forego that food. I did that for a little while and I thought I was getting some good results and everything, mm-hmm. you know. We just just bought some blueberry tea. Mm-hmm. <laughs> After all this dark chocolates and all of that. Mm-hmm. So the thing is, you know, it's really interesting as you say this and you tie it back and you do the troubleshooting of your mind, the body scan and all yeah. of that. So the thing is, all parts of your whole body mind ecosystem yeah Yeah. i mean so like even with within mindfulness we start to explore you know rather than mindlessly just eating potato chips in front of the television you're starting to tune in and when you really stop to savor you don't need to eat as much you don't need to eat a whole bag because you could feel satisfied with less when you start to smell the chip, feel its texture, enjoy it, really savor that experience, you don't need to mindlessly kind of gobble it down. And as you say, you know, there's a lot of ways in which we try to self-soothe and eating is one of them. And by starting to tune in to what's happening in the mind and your emotions, you can say, hey, I am self-soothing here. Is there a healthier way that I could take care of myself and show myself some self-love? Wow, that's awesome. So tell me, your five weeks to happiness course, right? Is that's for more peace, uh-huh. five weeks to peace? I'm uh-huh. sorry, it's okay. Right, so <laughs> so that's more targeted towards individuals. Are targeted to corporations? No, it's individuals. So I offer that to the public. Right. So I also know you do courses for corporations. Yeah. Right. So how do those courses work? Because I imagine those are a shorter form. Yeah. So I have a one day program that I offer. Which is really great. Well, you know, I go think I will think everything is great. It's great. It's great. <laughs> right. So that's the one that your um your friend told you about. Yes. Right? Thanks, Tammy. Right. So yeah. So that's a one day program, and in that program, they expose to different mindfulness practices. I share with them the science of mindfulness and meditation. We do some exploration of stress and how it shows up in the mind and body and emotions. Because some people are not even aware that you know what is happening to them is a result of stress. So it's really about starting that conversation around self-awareness and it's something you know that i realized that i am very self-aware right and now and i and now i know why i behave the way i do some people really don't people kind of take it for granted they think they drink and they're not really delving down into why they're behaving that way and mindfulness is all about exploring the whys Part of what mindfulness is, it's just having that self-awareness. So it's about awareness. Yeah. So, for instance, I'm there breathing, my eyes are closed. It's about mm-hmm. knowing, okay, what's going on in my stomach? How my stomach is breathing? How's my chest reacting? Yeah. What am I feeling in my in my toes? What am I feeling in my yeah. right hand? And that kind of thing. So just a few weeks ago, I had Hans Devine's here. Mm-hmm. And he started off his interview talking about mindfulness. So he's okay. like, yeah, KV, so like right now, we hear recording, but I hear in, I hear in the fan. Yeah. I understand what's going on in the fridge. That's where he is right now. Yeah. You know, when he says, you know, Hans the greatest as opposed to Hans is a problem. It's, just mm, a, it's really right, a, a personal good. journey. Right. A right. personal journey, a personal journey of awareness and all mm-hmm, of that. It's not mm-hmm. really like saying he's, he's greater than anybody. Yeah. Else. So and I think it's similar to what you're you're saying here. It's yeah. a mindfulness, that level of awareness and yeah. everything. So after somebody goes to your corporate course, right? Other than calling Kevin and Sam, Kevin please have this person on your podcast. Yeah. What do they get? You see, why I started my company is because I stumbled onto mindfulness and meditation by accident. 
right? It took me 10 years to get to this place. So all of my 30s, I was really not very happy or healthy. And I just didn't want anybody to wait 10 years to find out about this. So that's why I'm so prolific on my Facebook page. I post all the time and I post articles and scientific references because I want people, I just want to build awareness. And if one person leaves my class starting to take better care of themselves, starting to realize that stress doesn't have to be their new normal, that they don't have to accept that kind of lifestyle and mental strain and start to do something to better take care of themselves, I would consider it a success. That's amazing. Let's talk business now, Makeda. Mm -hmm. How do you grow? How do you scale? Because it sounds like you are the person running the show. You are the I person am. with the skills. You a hundred percent. It's so much hard you work. Book, you book the classes. Oh my gosh. You run the classes. Everything. You oh run my the Facebook page. You yes. Run, you run yes. to the email. Content, PR, marketing, sales, IT. So, okay, how do we position your business to be able to operate when you want to take a mindful vacation? Yeah, well, I'm taking December off. I told myself that, right? So, but is the business is the business taking December off as well? I might post a couple of times on Facebook. Mm -hmm. I am getting some corporate bookings. <laughs> so as much as I wanted to take December off, but I'm not offering any public workshops. I really did dedicate some time and some space just for my self-care and just to take care of myself because I, I, you know, it doesn't make sense having a mindfulness business and I'm running myself into the ground, right? That's you right. can't pour from an empty cup. So I'm really taking December off to take, you know, take care of myself. My niece will be coming to visit. My brother will be here. So All December. Right. It's my month. But in terms of positioning my company, you know, I'm very transparent. I did a post on this on Facebook. I didn't start off wanting to be a businesswoman per se. I started off wanting to help people right. and to uh, bring awareness to this life skill. That's what it was. Now, because I have a corporate background, I kind of knew the building blocks of what I needed to do. So I didn't even have an Instagram page until last November. And even that was a trial for me to figure out Instagram. Remember, I'm older. Instagram is not of my generation. Really young, baby. <laughs> right? So I knew I wanted to help people. But then in order to help people, people have to know you exist. You have to advertise. You have to do advertisements that hit home, that resonate. You have to kind of stand out from because everybody's scrolling, scrolling. So how do you stand out? You have to do business development call people, ask for meetings, hit the pavement. So I started off with me wanting to help and I have kind of accidentally become like this business woman, but that was never my intention to be a business woman. But it sounds like you are the business. So Makeda, what is the help and support systems like? Who is helping you with, with this business? I have a lot of emotional support from my family, which is fantastic and which is invaluable. <laughs> no, that is great. That's great. It is. <laughs> but what about the physical support? Me. Backbreaking work. Me. One time I had to call my cousin, please, can you help me? I have an event and she was great to help me um, set up the room. Mm -hmm. But everything is... Miss Mackenzie, so I have to set up the room, make sure it's clean, <laughs> lay it out. So you have plans to bring on people more f like full time because you yeah. have the biz you have business coming in. You have the companies hiring you and everything. Yeah. You're booked for December and everything. Yeah. Are you looking to hire people to assist you so you're able to do even more at less physical expense to you? Yeah, I mean, 
Try no, this is your baby, and I'm okay. <laughs> what I want to see is if you're yeah. willing to let other people help no, you. No, I'm glad. Let me tell you, I am glad. Now, remember, my, my field is in HR, right. right? So I have experience managing people. I did recruitment. I've done training. So I feel like I am more than capable of hiring a good team. But I'm really glad that I had this experience of doing everything myself. Right. That way, when I have people who are coming in, I could direct them. I could give them the foundation, and then they could put their flair on it. Because this is my baby, I need to be and clear. And it's still young, because it's, and it's still, still a young. Year old, right? I can't hand it over to somebody, and then you advise me. Now, I could advise an assistant, and then they could add on to what I say. So, yeah, that, that is my vision, having an actual physical location uh, where people will be coming to me, and I won't be. But I like to go out to the companies and do my training, because I want people to start to, to associate the workplace with healing. Right now, the workplace is associated with a lot of stress and suffering. So by going in, I'm now starting to plan to see that, hey, the workplace could be a source of healing as well. It's a busy market in terms of people who provide corporate trainers, like various corporate trainers. Just the other day, I did a time management training. You know, there's a bunch of trainers out there. How are you, as a new business, as a new service, a niche service, able to land all of these gigs? My faith, is very important to me yes. and God is very, very real to me. When I first started my company, my prayer was simply, God, please help me. I don't know what I'm doing. And that was my prayer every night. I really didn't know what I was doing. I knew I wanted to help. I don't even like public speaking. The last boss I had had to force me to do a presentation skills workshop. I didn't want to be in front of people. But prior to me getting into mindfulness, my prayer used to be, even when I was working in corporate, Lord, make me an instrument of thy peace. I just wanted to be an instrument of peace. I did. That was my prayer. So I really feel like God is directing my steps and he is showing up in a very real way in my life. And he is helping me get the contracts that I'm getting. I'm getting the business that I'm getting and just assisting me. He is my link. I don't have a link. People think I have a link. I don't have a link. My earthly father passed away when I was 12. My mom never remarried. So it's just mommy and her kids. My link is Jesus. And he has been hooking me up. Wow. So Jesus got you picking up that phone, calling whoever you need to call. A lot of bravery. It's a lot of courage. And how so many times have people told you no? Plenty plenty and they play games and they say they're not in office or it's you know you get they a lot of those they duck me but look how great god is now people are calling me i started the year beating the phones beating the phone sending email now people i've heard about the institute i heard about you i heard about this training can you come in and that's what i started to pray and say I said lord let them seek me out because i don't feel like i was making any inroads by me knocking on the doors and so said so done that's interesting. Let's break down how we, how we did that full 180, right? Mm -hmm. So how do we go from no, 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 duck hide, duck hide, Makeda calling, let, don't pick up the phone, mm -hmm. to hey, Makeda, you could come and do a little program for us? Yeah. I think the people who did tell me, yes, I'm extremely grateful for and grateful to because by doing those programs, the opportunities that I did get, the quality was such of, of a certain standard and people really responded to it. So then I started to get word of mouth advertising going. And, you know, I am not a very political person or well-connected person. You know, I have five friends I've probably had since A-levels. You know, I don't really get out there much. So I didn't have any contacts it's just people just hearing about the work that I've done. And because my own personal work ethic, and I think that is something I just want to 
make sure that I articulate here that it's important to have a work ethic and to do things of a particular standard because that speaks more than any brochure and any advertisement and any Facebook post. And I feel like the work that I have done has spoken for me and has brought me to a place where people are calling me now. And I don't want to sound conceited and I'm not, you know, I have a ways to go still, but I'm just so grateful and thankful now that I've kind of created a buzz that this is somebody that we should be looking at. You mentioned high quality. Mm-hmm. consistently how are you able by yourself to deliver such high quality consistently to be able to generate that word amount advertising like what's what's your system like how do you go about preparing for your workshops what do you do before you start speaking everything it was the whole night okay i will i will try my best to right luckily for me i've been able to leverage a lot of my personal strengths and use it in the business. So I'm a very organized person and I love to be organized, right? So that has helped me. I create checklists. What do I do before an event? What needs to happen? That sort of thing. So that's been very helpful. Another thing that I do is I kind of think of what do I want the end result to look like, to be like, and I start working backward from there. So for my five weeks to peace, I'm saying, okay, I want people to be able to meditate on their own after. And I want them to understand more about mindfulness. So when you have those two big objectives, okay, how do I get people to meditate on their own? You give them a structure, you tell them, you know, have a, a time, a place, a posture. You work backward. You reverse engineer. Reverse engineer. And you break down each yeah. deliverable you want to get into the many deliverables. Yeah. What they say is true. When you work for yourself, you work round the clock. I love what I do. So I wake up in the morning, I'm excited to start to work and I don't mind it. I have to be... I have to take a conscious effort to stop because I don't want to, you know, create a, a scenario where I feel burnt out. But left up to me, I really work all the time. I enjoy it. It's a lot of hard work and it's a lot of time. It's a lot of time and you have to be committed. I started to tell my brother because my brother's thinking about going off into, to do his own thing. He's in the States. And I said, you have to pick something where you would be willing to do it for free. Like you have to love it so much because it is going to be unpaid for some months before you start to get money coming in. And if you're doing something that's unpaid and you don't love it, you're not going to be able to sustain it. And I really do love, I love what I do. And I am very passionate about people feeling better and finding a release for their stress. And mindfulness is just one, you know, I'm not saying this is the be all and all, but I'm just letting people know this is an option that this exists. How long did it take you to monetize essentially? How long did it take you to get your first paying gig? I would say June, so that's six months. Six months? No, I uh, Feb, March, really three months. That's not bad at all. Yeah. That's not bad yeah. at all. Yeah. And I remember the first time I got money, it was a class I was running and it was in South. And I just was so nervous. I'm thinking these people are paying their good money. I have to make sure I get them value for their money. Suppose they ask for their money back. I just wanted to deliver value. I don't, you know, I think it's become very trendy in trinidad to kind of waste down trinidad trinidadians love to say oh what's wrong with trinidad and i just want to do something that i am proud of and that people feel good about i didn't want to add another product or service to the landscape that people can waste down i wanted to give people quality for what they were paying for so you mentioned and mindfulness is just part of it tell us the bigger picture in terms of the movement you're trying to achieve my unofficial vision is to make Trinidad and Tobago a kinder place one person at a time. And mindfulness 
to me, is a tool in which to achieve that because it really helps, I think, with the interpersonal relations because when you practice pausing, you're less likely to be reactive and be aggressive. I feel like as a society, we've gotten a bit aggressive. And, you know, mindfulness really enhances your ability to be empathetic and to have compassion for yourself and for others. So every time I touch a person with mindfulness, I'm thinking, okay, so it's impacting their family relationships, it's impacting their work relationships. So it's going to spread throughout the island. So yes, I know Trinidad has its problems, but like you, I'm trying to be part of the solution and not just list out all the things that's wrong with the country. Love it. Love it. All right, Makeda. So what's next? What's next? I want to go regional. I would like to offer my workshops throughout the Caribbean and even international and just continue working hard. That's what my next is. Get a staff so I could do more. I would like to do more organizational development, more systemic change. So in addition to me coming in and doing a one-off day or a one-hour presentation, how can I make this a more mindful organization? I think that is really my dream. You know, I suffered a lot in work. Work is stressful. Work is extremely stressful. Yeah, work is real stress. And then having worked in London and in Trinidad, I could compare working in Trinidad is very stressful. Really? It's easier to work in London? Totally easier. The management style and their their whole management perspective is tell different. Tell me, tell me, tell me more, tell me more. I think Trinidad, we manage from a very punitive place. So we're looking to how can we stifle, keep down, keep people in check, keep them in a box. Almost like we are afraid to openly praise or say good job. So it's very, very punitive and heavy handed. That has been my work experience locally. And consequently, that causes a lot of stress for employees. So really what I wanted to do with my company is to teach persons that there's a way that you can manage your stress and you can even change your perspective of the stress because stress is never going to go away. But mindfulness changes how we relate to the stress. And that's a very liberating thing. So yes, I'm glad to go in and do my one-off workshops, which is the one hour or the one day, but I would like to be at a strategic level. How can I make this a more mindful organization? You took a niche service, right? A service that wasn't really being offered Correct. here in Trinidad and Tobago, yeah. or maybe even in the Caribbean. And you decided to make a business out of it. You left the corporate world. Well, the corporate world left me. So I was working in a state enterprise and that state enterprise closed down. And it closed down really suddenly and unexpectedly. And it was a whole big thing. And we had to take them to high court. And it was just a dream. And then I was at a point, I know, after that, all the dust was settled. What do I do now? Do I look for another corporate job? Or, you know, what are my next steps? Okay. And I really felt that I have worked everywhere where I wanted to work in Trinidad. The companies I have worked for, I have chosen them. You know, I couldn't think of anywhere else I wanted to work. And really, my mom encouraged me to pursue my certification in mindfulness. She's like, look at this thing. You know, you're so, I really was so passionate about it. I was always reading about it. I was watching YouTube videos about it. She's like, why don't you see if you could get a certification so you could teach it to others, you know? And it was scary for me, you know? But really, with her encouragement and the encouragement of my younger sister, I had the courage to kind of, pursue my studies in it yeah because we're living right now in a year no in a year in a time of information which leads to innovation right mm -hmm. and a lot of people they have a lot of innovative ideas and stuff and a lot of innovative services they want to offer but 
to go from idea to action, actually starting to launch yeah. that service. Because when you don't have that clear line of sight, like how much money I'm going to make? Am I going to make any money? Exactly. Does it make sense? And look at what I'm teaching. I'm teaching my It's not like it's a grocery. You know what I mean? Exactly. I'm now trying to educate people that this is something that you need. We come from a culture where we could party, we could drink, we could lime. What time for mindfulness? Otherwise, I can manage my stress, you know? So I hear what you're saying in terms of, you know, how do you move from an idea to action? Right. And I was just, I was passionate that this is what people needed. Okay. How do you advise a listener to go about doing that? I think just start. Don't wait until you're an expert. Don't wait until you have it all figured out. Just take one step at a time, one hour at a time. Just start. A lot of people have come to me now with business ideas. And then two months, three months later, they still haven't done anything with it, right? And it could be fair. You know, it's very scary putting yourself out there. When I first made the company Facebook page public, the Caribbean Mindfulness Institute Facebook page. I think I must have pressed publish. And I, I, <laughs> I put my phone on side and I went to sleep at 6 o'clock in the evening. It's so scary putting yeah. yourself out there. I've even had some trolls on my bed. I'm like, what am I, what are you telling me? Yeah. I'm trying to help, you know? I know what you mean with yeah, that. It's, it's so scary. I get why people hesitate, but you just got to jump into the deep end. Sink or swim. Yeah. That's I remember the first time I published my first podcast and wow, I was so amateur. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, in terms of the editing and everything. Yeah. I'd, um, I didn't have the proper equipment and everything. Yeah. I published that. I went to bed, woke up in the morning, but you know, yeah. people were positive. People were supportive. You know why? Because it's just about starting and you improve. Yeah. You improve yeah. where you start. Yeah. I'm sure you come a long way from your first mindfulness presentation. I'm I sure mean, you I used have to have so through. much nerves. Exactly. So much ner- I still get nervous before, you know, are you real nervous before and after? But you just have to try. You just got to try. Try your best and just try. Okay, do you have a website? So I, I'm working on my website at the moment. So all I have right now are my social media pages, which is Caribbean Mindfulness Institute on Facebook and Instagram. And then I'm on LinkedIn as Makeda McKenzie. And you can book you from your Facebook page. and you Yeah, know. you can send me a message and you know I can let you know what, what my upcoming workshops are and where they're going to be. And you're available for workshops regionally and internationally yeah. as well. Yes, 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 yes. Awesome. All right, Makeda, right now I want to give you open forum. Yikes. If you wanted uh-huh. to say anything you wanted to leave us with that we wouldn't cover today. First, I would just like to thank every single person who has liked and followed me on social media or has attended one of my programs. Thank you so much for being there and for being open-hearted and for being open-minded. Thank you to everybody who has come to one of my programs and workshops, who has messaged me on WhatsApp or sent me an email saying how much they've enjoyed it. I mean, those things I really take to heart because I do it for people. I don't do it for myself, you know? So thank you everybody who has tried one of my classes. And I want to encourage you all, even if you don't try mindfulness per se, just to prioritize your health and well-being. We are not meant to be going, going, going. We are delicate human beings. And I think sometimes we forget that and we think we're like the machines that we're surrounded by, but we're not. We need to care and nurture ourselves. And I just want to encourage your listeners to do what they can to nurture themselves, mind, body, and spirit. All right, Makeda, you're the real deal. Thank you. There you have it, Podcast World, The Power of Mindfulness. Bye, everyone. (laughs) 
subscribe to Caribbean Power Lunch at caribbeanpowerlunch.com slash subscribe. Check us out in Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, CastBox, wherever you listen to your podcasts. And with that, Makeda, thanks again. Thank you so much, Kevin, for having me. Thank you, listeners, for listening. Podcast World, Cabin Studios. Mwah. Time for another cup of tea. We are out. Peace out. <laughs>